So when you have an adversarial, fear, competitive, protecting mentality or culture, which is the norm for leadership (laughs) around the world, you have a lose-lose situation. And we have to shift the way that we think about leadership and the way that we train leaders. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. My memoir, Relentless, is releasing in March of 2022. Go to officialnatashamiller.com to put your name on the wait list and I'll let you know when it's available. The bonuses for buying the book are pretty enticing. I hope you love them all. Also, let me know if you'd like to be on my advanced reader team. I'll send you all of the details. Sue Dyer has helped more than 48,000 executive leaders to create high-trust business cultures over the past 35 years. She has been called the godmother of partnering. Sue worked on over 4,000 projects worth over $180 billion to perfect her partnering approach model. Now let's get right into it. The respect of the title of the leader is when somebody actually trusts you enough to follow. My definition of a leader is a leader is someone who has followers and following is 100% voluntary. So if people don't respect you and trust you, then you're not by definition a leader. Okay. Let's all think about that for a moment because that really changes the landscape for everything. Why is it important for a leader to be authentically and organically a good leader? Well, I think in order to be followed, people have to trust you and they're not going to trust you if you're not real, if they don't feel like what you say is valid or coming from your truth. Nobody's going to follow that. And what happens most of the time is that people think they have people following, but they're actually complying. And compliance is not the same thing as following. And when someone complies, they're really not in it completely. There's different levels of resistance, but they're really resisting. They have one foot out the door, maybe. Well, or they're waiting for somebody to tell them what to do, or they're maybe actually not agreeing with what they're being told to do, or they may actually fully resist what they're being told to do. And so you have these different levels. And so it certainly is not something that contributes to high performance. I'm feeling that really right now. And of course, I'm questioning my own leadership, but that's a separate podcast. So you've written a book, another book, and it's called The Trusted Leader. Let's just talk about it. What is it about? Who is it for? And what will it do for someone like me? Yeah, well, it's a book on trusted leadership using a model that I developed over 35 years of tried and true what works. And I use construction projects as my proving ground for several reasons. One is they're project-based. So I got a beginning, a middle, and an end, and I could see what worked and what didn't work. And I knew whether the project came in on time, on budget, and was of the quality and did what it was supposed to do. So it was a very good proving ground for me. And I developed a model I call the partnering approach. And it has two components to it. One is it has 10 
partnering intentions. So it's creating the mindset for the leader so that they can create an atmosphere of trust. And the other component is values. So creating the norms of behavior, the culture that actually then people follow through with actions. So it's how to think and act like a trusted leader. And this is based on having worked with 4,000 different teams and 48,000 executive leaders, actually over 78,000 leaders and on $180 billion worth of projects. So we've worked on enough to really know what it takes. And I was looking to create models that were predictable. So it created a predictable results. And so in this book, it shows you the model and then it tells you how to train your brain to think and act like a trusted leader. Is there a test or a quiz I can take to find out where I am? Absolutely. (laughs) There is. It's called the Trusted Leader Profile and it's free at sudico.com forward slash profile and sudico's S-U-D-Y-C-O. And in that, you'll get several things. One you're going to get is on the continuum of leadership between feared leader and trusted leader. You're going to get a number between one and 15, and that's going to tell you what your level of trust is. That you're Wait a minute. You. <laughs> do I take the test or do my employees take it? It can be both. It can be even done as 360 if you want. I also believe it's really powerful if everyone takes it on themselves because trust is like a team sport. Trust doesn't exist by itself. It exists between people. So taking it and then looking at what's your trust level, you can have a conversation about that and the whys. You're also going to get two graphs with your styles because there's five styles across the continuum. And the first style, primary style, is your normal way of leading. And this is the norms you're bringing to your team. And in your second graph, your secondary style, you are going to see what is your perceived style of leading. And if there is a difference, then you probably have some reconciliation that needs to occur. That's really exciting. I actually feel very confident right now of my leadership skills and style and what my team would rate me to an extent. However, if you roll back three years, I don't think it would have been as well. But thankfully, you live and learn and you get better. So... (laughs) What did you do that was different that you think enhanced the level of trust you have across your team? The major thing is I trusted them and understood that their skill and their determination to do a great job was more powerful than my giving too much work. I've never been a micromanager, but now I'm very hands-off. However, I am there for them when they need me and they know that. So I stay out of their way until they need me and I've trained them. So they have all the information. So I think right now, the difference is flashback a few years is that I was trying to take my small business and make it more of a corporate entity with corporate rules, metrics, meetings, and no matter what, I'm in the entertainment industry you can't really put a square peg in a round hole on some things. So I did go down that route and it backfired and uh, didn't have the maturity at the time or experience to understand what I was doing wrong. However, I can see that in hindsight now. Well, you decided to trust them. 
And amazingly, they learn to trust you. And there is quite a bit of research that shows that if you go into a relationship and offer high trust, you get that in return. Well, then I'm on the right track and I'm never getting off of it because it is the best year. I think it's so fun to watch because I've seen that journey for so many trusted leaders when you finally kind of the light bulb goes on. And of course, there's levels of trust that you can create. It's an endless level. So, but once you, once the light bulb goes on, you begin to see you have all these resources that you now can use that were really lost. And that's what I see in most businesses is they're spending so many resources, people waiting for a decision, people not knowing what to do, people not agreeing with the decision. There's just so many resources. And I've seen over and over and over. In fact, we have some research that shows that you can usually save about 10% in total costs, 10% in total time, 12% improvement in satisfaction, improvement in innovations, and a whole myriad of other things, people wanting to stay, people wanting to grow with the business. There's a lot of things. And in this day and age, that's pretty important. And all of those things are additive. So it really creates extraordinary outcomes. And so what I see over and over, which is so fun to watch, is that the businesses and the leaders that really go on this journey begin to get this momentum that their competitors are going like, how are you doing that? And you also tap into the collective wisdom of your whole team because now everyone's open. There's no barriers. They're talking, there's cohesion, there's Mm -hmm. commitment, and there's creativity. And none of those things happen. Like when all these companies talk about creating innovation, it's impossible to have innovation without that kind of atmosphere. And now you're going to be smarter, better, faster. I just had an experience with an employee who has been with me for two years that I think is part of this that you're talking about. So typically if an employee is pregnant and they have to let their manager, the owner of the company know, there's some fear, right? There's fear of, is there a maternity leave? Will I have my job later? Will I be treated differently? And this gal said to me that she was pregnant. I think she knew that my reaction would be, I got up and screamed and danced around and said, congratulations. Now, we were talking about different senior position starting in January, right? And she's due later in the summer, and we still are talking about it. It's absolutely happening, and she wants it to happen. And so I think I'm patting myself on the back, but it is a good way to show that if this person trusted me, that's the outcome. If she didn't, maybe I wouldn't know until she was six months pregnant. Exactly. Or perhaps she's someone who you were moving along a certain path and now things have changed for her. So you listen and you understand and you do what's right and best for your employees. And then they take care of you. Yeah. And I do feel very coveted by my team. We had an outing last night, so it's very fresh. So why is trusted leadership so much Why is it important now? I think it's always been important, but why is it important now? I think it's always been important, but I sold my business and started this new business. And I'm really working to try to create a trust movement within the business people, folks. It's not an industry. It's all industries because I see six disruptions, but two primary ones. The first disruption I see, and we saw it so vividly with the maps of COVID and the spread of COVID, and you see it again now with the new variant. It's just such a visual depiction of how interdependent we are 
in business and in the world. And over the last many decades, we have become more and more interdependent. And in an interdependent relationship, there is only win-win or lose-lose. So when you have an adversarial, fear, competitive, protecting mentality or culture, which is the norm for leadership around the world, you have a lose-lose situation. And we have to shift the way that we think about leadership and the way that we train leaders. It's just essential. And I'm always amazed at how people don't see it because they are so concerned about their own interests. Yeah. They can't see beyond it. There's a lot of ego. And if you don't do inner work, then it may never be able to be available to you to be a true trusted leader. Well, and in some businesses, they're so competitive with their close competitors or their coveted competitors, and they get locked into a battle like the Hatfields and the McCoys, and they really don't see how they're really undermining themselves, undermining the market undermining what could be possible and also losing resources within their own business that are just wasted. There's right. so much wasted time, wasted effort. And that's what employees get so frustrated about. The other big disruptor I see is really the emergence of AI and the web 3.0. And as we include more and more AI attributes into the three-dimensional world and just into our world. AI is wonderful and will be great for humankind as long as humankind uses it to expand the best of us and not the worst of us. And there is just too much. AI doesn't really think. AI doesn't feel remorse. AI doesn't really care. It does what the programmer tells you it's going to do. And it also will give voice to many new people. And I just want to make sure those voices that get augmented into the marketplace and into the world are ones that are really working on trust and not fear. I think it's a pivotal point for humankind. This is a big topic. It is. So you've been in business for 35 years. And from your vantage point, we can talk about leaders or entrepreneurs in general. I guess, let's just say entrepreneur. What should any entrepreneur not do, in your opinion? We'll start with the not. Well, I think entrepreneurs in general, particularly when you're starting your business, make sure that you're starting it with on a foundation of trust, making sure that when you hire people, it's people that you trust, they trust you. That's your job. That is your main job is to create a high trust environment. So that would be the first thing. And then as you grow your team, it's really easy. I hear entrepreneurs all the time tell me, well, we were growing so fast that I didn't have time to think about culture. When in fact, culture is what will allow you to grow really fast <laughs> and for people to have the norms to know what they need to do. You don't have to tell them every single little, little thing because the norms create the behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so everyone knows what it is they need to be doing. They know what their true north is. They know what they're supposed to be doing, how they're supposed to be doing it, and what's most important. So culture is really important. And I think we get too busy or we grow too fast and think, oh, well, I don't have time to worry about that. 
And I remember listening to a Tony, I can't remember his last name. He was the head of Zappos. He passed away, but right. he was talking about how he started a business and it had grown pretty well and it was going really, really well. And he was miserable. He and his partners were miserable because they hadn't spent enough time and energy and focus on culture. And I think for every entrepreneur, your business, you're planting seeds and those seeds are going to grow. You better make sure you're planting the seeds you want. So give an example of what you mean by culture and planning and paying attention to it. Give me one example. Okay. Okay. I would say it's when you have a problem, let's talk about a problem. You have a problem. What's your approach to it? Do you do P, do your employees sit around waiting for you to decide what needs to happen? So then they execute on that? Or do you, they know because we know that customers are number one and I'm in charge of this budget and I'm in charge of what I'm doing. And so I know I can make the decision and I can move forward with this. And the customer is going to be delighted and happy and I can make sure that that happens. That's unusual. That is not the norm in most businesses. We're waiting around for someone who has authority to make a decision instead of empowering the people closest to the issues, which is where you get the quality decisions, to make the decisions. Yeah. So let's talk about that. What you just said is so important because I bet if we asked a lot of entrepreneurs that we both know, they're not going to start there. They're going to start with the fun stuff or the team bonding or the beer on tap, or the monthly nights out. And culture is so much more than that, as a lot of people know, but then a lot of people don't. So that empowerment of here are your bumper lane, right? And Tony, for one, I think he gave his employees a thousand or $1,200 per uh, to carte blanche, fix it. You have up to this amount. You don't have to get anybody's approval. And I don't know how many people would attribute that to being a spoke in the wheel of culture, but you're right, it is. Oh, it is. It's absolutely culture. I've worked at at San Francisco International Airport for quite a few years, helping to develop culture there. And I remember the director, they had an unfortunate event where they had a plane crash. The pilot made an error. It appears. We don't know for sure ever, but everyone in the airport just rallied and came together and nobody had to ask anybody to do anything. And he said, he sees that all the time in little things and big things across the entire airport is that because of the culture and the norms, people know what to do and they do it. And they're not afraid of doing it. And that's a public entity. I'm just saying too. That's That's amazing. (laughs) So culture isn't something it's kind of everything. And also tapping into the collective wisdom of your team. If you have a high trust culture, they're going to tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they're going to tell you their best ideas, and they're going to innovate. And the collective wisdom of the group will create things that you never imagined were possible. And I see it over and over and over. And that's what keeps me so excited about this over many, many years. I'm going to raise my hand to that. That is definitely why my business has grown and why it's moved into some different directions. Because I say to my team, I can't not know what you're thinking. I can't afford to know, to not know how we can make this better, what your experience is. I'm not in the trenches. I don't know how many times you have to do this one thing repeatedly that we could automate unless you tell me. So next question I have for you is about motivating your team. So we just said culture isn't necessarily about all that stuff. 
So beyond being a trusted leader, what do you do to support and motivate your team outside of trusting them? Yeah, well, the trust is the foundation. And then I have another model I call the partnering process, which has an acronym called FLAME, Focus, Leadership, Alignment, Measurement, and Execution. I have this saying, and I've seen it over and over and over. People don't argue with what they help to create. As a leader, you create a forum for co-creation, and you let the group create what they're going to achieve together. Now, you can be the visionary as the leader and say, we want to get to $10 million, $100 million. You can give them that, but then let them figure out how will we get there? What does that look like? What are our goals? And are we going to get there this year? Are we going to get there in five years? What are our goals now? What are we going to do? Let them co-create those and then let them also co-create what they see as barriers to getting there. And let them put the meat on the bones of all that and let them all, every step of the way, figure out what do we need to do and what are we doing? And then you measure, and of course, you have leaders who are trusted leaders. They know that's their job at each level. And then you're going to measure and with the measurement of where we are, how did we do with what we said we were going to do? We have a trusted leader scorecard that does this and it measures between one poor and five great, excellent. And we also have an algorithm that looks at all the scores across the entire team. And it tells you a momentum score between minus two and plus two. So you can have negative momentum or you can have positive momentum. Mm -hmm. And that momentum score is a great predictor of what's going to happen. So the team can self-regulate and realign. And of course, every so often, I have another model that's called the nozzle effect, but you're trying to create a nozzle. Like if you put had a garden hose and you put a nozzle on it and you have water running through your hose and you, if you really turn that nozzle to a fairly narrow spray, same resources, huge momentum, mm -hmm. same exact thing happens in your business. So this whole process is creating a nozzle and then over time, entropy happens and chaos occurs and things change. So the nozzle gets wider. So you come back together and you realign mm -hmm. and you keep doing that as you execute. New issues come in, you're continuing the process all the way along throughout the entire duration of whether it's a goal or an initiative or a project, whatever you're working on, the team stays together and continues to co-create what they're going to do and then hold each other accountable to doing that. And they also steer because mm -hmm. nothing ever happens exactly like you plan it to happen. If an entrepreneur is working with a framework like EOS traction or scaling up, is what you've developed something that can layer on top of that? Or is your system, because we haven't talked about in its entirety, something as an alternative to EOS traction or scaling up? I think it's kind of both because it's mostly about team culture and EOS is mostly about process. So I think they could be married. There might be some things that are overlapping, but probably could be married. And I think that the EOS process, if it was done in a, with a leader with a high trust culture, would do nothing but be more successful. I agree. Like I imagined EOS and your system blending very well. EOS does talk about culture, but it's again, a spoke in a wheel. It's not the main directive. 
And so you're starting this new business. You have a new book coming out. You have years and years and years of great experience. You could just have it made and just be hitting gold medal wins all the time, but you're also human. So what is your current biggest challenge that you're facing in your business today? Well, right now, my biggest challenge is launching a podcast called Lead with Trust on June 4th, launching a book and a journal on February 1st, all in the same quarter, kind of at the same time. It's a lot. (laughs) That is a lot. And it takes a mini army. I am doing something very similar to yours. However, my podcast is thankfully on the air since January of this year, but I have my own wheelbarrow of things that I'm trying to usher into the world. And it takes a small army and a lot of mental bandwidth. And how do you pace yourself day to day with that? Well, you know, it's been interesting because I could have retired a long time ago. And certainly after I sold my business, my husband sort of, everyone sort of expected me to retire. And then other people that knew me said, Yeah, that's not happening. So starting a new business, I think when it was slower, I actually wasn't as happy as I am now. I wake up every day excited, sometimes a little overwhelmed, but I'm very excited. And I really believe like this is my life's work. And there could be no more joy for me to go to bed exhausted doing my life's work. And I just want to give to people what I've learned over 35 years and seen the extraordinary results. In fact, we coined a term EBO, Extraordinary Business Outcomes, and so that I can just make it happen. And so, yeah, maybe it never happens as fast as you want, but I'm hoping that even if it helps one, two, 10 people, it will have been worth it to me because each one of those people will affect other people that will affect other people that will affect other people. So trust has a whole ripple effect to it. So I'm just trying to make trust ripples. Once someone gets into your sphere, How do they work with you to find out and unlock all of these secrets? They can read the book and maybe self-administer. Do you lead workshops? Are you doing one-on-one advising, consulting? Well, with the book, you know, it talks about training your brain. So I did also create a journal. So there's a journal that you can self-study, walk through training your brain every day, incorporating the 10 different intentions and the six values into your daily work. And so taking the trusted leader profile is the best way to start. And then from there, I have a monthly class that's free also for to help you interpret your results. And then from there, if you want to do more, we can do a 60-minute strategy session to figure out what's your trust strategy? Because to me, it really is a strategy for your business. And then from there, we do have workshops. And in the workshop, it's two days. The first day you're going to learn, everyone's going to look at everyone's profile, learn about the model. And in the second half of that day, you're going to learn about training your brain. And in the second day, you're going to actually talk about trust as your competitive advantage and create your 12-month goals, your trust goals. So that's the workshop. Then I also have a certification that I'm going to do for trusted thought leaders so that I can teach them the model and they can incorporate it into their work. And then the last offering I have right now is group coaching and I call it do the impossible because Mm -hmm. that's what I've seen over and over and over is that people think that, oh, we can't do that or that can't happen. And I see them achieve the impossible over and over and over. So I just called the coaching do the impossible. 
Sue taught us the incredible importance of becoming a trusted leader in order to have the best shot of a healthy, profitable company. Her new book, The Trusted Leader, as well as the assessment, coaching, and two-day seminars are available now. For more information, go to the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. Want to know more about me? Go to my website, officialnatashamiller.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs.